Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Vance Havner. He was born in 1901 in Jugtown, North Carolina. He began preaching at the age of 12. Havner said, The Lord made it clear to my heart that if I would preach the old message, He would make a way for me. Today, Vance Havner presents a sermon on Love Not the World. The following material is copywritten by and provided courtesy of the Moody Bible Institute. I want to pursue something that I uh, mentioned yesterday about the world and the Christian's attitude toward it. And I want us to look at John 17, the high priestly prayer of our Lord. Uh, the portion that I want to read is a sort of a prayer for, it begins with a prayer for himself in verses 1 to 5, and then 619 for the disciples, and then 20 to 26 for all believers. We won't read all of that. But we'll start with verse 6. Notice as we progress how many times that word world occurs because John said more about the world than anybody else in the New Testament. <clears throat> and the word for world, that word cosmos, from which we get cosmogony and cosmology and even cosmetics, is found 15 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Paul uses it 47 times. But John uses it 105 times. So he has a lot to say about this age. Jesus says, beginning with verse 6 here, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them, and now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come out of thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, as thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified the truth. It's rather remarkable how many times this word shows up where you might not expect it so much in the writings of John, but there it is. Uh, this, of course, is uh, the Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer of our Lord. And uh, 
the disciples come into it and all believers come into it. We're living in a day, Mark, first, it started off with secularism, but it's gotten over into humanism now. Secularism has been defined as the practice of the absence of God. That's a pretty good uh, way to put it. But humanism is man becoming his own God. The first thing the devil told our parents in the Garden of Eden, you shall be his gods. And from that day to this, we've been getting more and more headed in that direction. And the issue today is between the man who did claim to be God and was, and uh, the man in the last days who will claim to be God and certainly is not, the Antichrist. It's a strange progression as you study this. Uh, we read in the Bible of those who fear the Lord and serve their own gods. You wouldn't think of that ordinarily, but there it is in the book. Some of them we call worldly Christians, which is a misnomer, I think. Billy Sunday used to say, you might as well talk about a heavenly devil. Some of them claim to be the Lord's sheep, but they're more at home with the devil's goats. The Bible says, whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I'm persuaded that a big percentage of folks call worldly Christians, which is a misnomer, certainly, perhaps not Christians. Uh, sheep may fall into a mud hole, but a sheep's not at home in a mud hole. There is an animal that is at home in a mud hole, but I haven't got time to go into that here this morning. <laughs> Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. That's the mark, outstanding characteristic of the sheep. We need to brush up on our Bible zoology. Uh, a number of animals are used in the Word of God, the dog and the sow and so on. We're not to judge people, I know that, but uh, the Bible says the Lord knoweth them that are His, and I'm glad He does, because otherwise some of them be pretty hard to identify. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's one of the best signs in the world. If you're a Christian, you hate sin, and you depart from sin. When I see a bird that uh, looks like a duck and has webbed feet like a duck and paddles in the water like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's awfully hard for me to resist the conclusion must be a duck. And when I see a church member that's more at home than uh, uh, looking at trashy uh, television or running with the crowd of this world and at home in it, I find that he identifies himself. Uh, birds of a feather flock together. And wherever you feel most at home is where you belong. That's your native habitat. You have identified yourself. We know we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Now, suppose you don't love the brethren. Suppose you'd rather be at the other crowd. That's where you belong. When Peter and John were let go, they went into their own company. They just naturally gravitated that way. And when Peter got out of jail, he headed for a prayer meeting. We gravitate to what lures us most. And we eventually show up where at heart we belong. Well, you say, but God so loved the world. Yes, that's uh, true. But that's a world of lost souls, and we ought to love souls. And a great English preacher said one time, if we'd love this world the way God loves it, we wouldn't love it the way we shouldn't love it. And that's wonderfully well said. This present age and setup, which politically and economically and socially 
and religiously is under the devil, the god of this age, the prince of this world. The word cosmos has three meanings. It means the earth, the people who live on it, and the system by which they live and operate. The whole world lies in the wicked one, in wickedness. Our Lord came to deliver us from this present evil world, Galatians 3, 4. Before we were saved, we walked according to the course of this world, Ephesians 2, 2. But as I said yesterday, and I want to leave that point with you again, our Lord says four things here about us and the world, that if we will abide by them, we'll be well established. We've been saved out of the world, verse 6. That's made very clear there. And you know that the word for church in the original is the word for the called out ones. God is taking out a people for his name. We've been saved out of the world system and given a new position with Christ in the heavenlies. Our citizenship's in heaven. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. Uh, We were saved by an experience that takes us out and ought to keep us out. And our position up there and our condition down here, our standing up there and our state down here ought to match. We're pilgrims and strangers in this world. I believe that the tragedy of so much dead church life, to use a contradiction of terms, is that there are a lot of people who... uh, are moving in the world in such a way and got so identified with it that the fellow out there can't see any difference because there isn't any between the two. But uh, we're pilgrims and strangers, exiles and aliens, one of the translations puts it. I like that. And that's what we are. This world is our passage, old Matthew Henry used to say, and not our portion. That's well said. This world is not your rest. Here we have no continuing city. I'm a stranger here. The next time this world offers you something that belongs to it and not to you, say, no, thank you, I'm a stranger here. That's what you are. You're just a pilgrim. You're just passing through. This world's not your home. I landed some time ago in an old-fashioned Methodist camp meeting. They're hard to find now. And I uh, found this one, and I got there. They were really, one old lady got up and started them off, and they were singing, I feel like traveling on. And they must have. They got up and sang about 12 or 15 verses of it. And they, I said, this crowd's going somewhere, believe me. <laughs> I believe in traveling like that. We were made for a better world, beloved. Now, the reason why a dog, he said, was pretty well here, because it's the only world a dog will ever have. But you're made for a better world. And you're not satisfied in this one. Uh, If you try to make yourself happy here, you make yourself miserable. We are transients here. I like the word in Micah 2.10, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. That's a good time. Never heard a sermon on it in my life. I wish some preacher would prepare a sermon and preach it. Arise ye and depart, this is not your rest. Maybe I did try it a long time ago, but I forgot the sermon. If it did, I think about that dear old black sister who said, I wears this world like a loose garment. I like that. I can just drop it, you know. Well, that's a good way to put it. And then, beloved, we are in the world, however. Well, I thought I just got through saying we'd been called out of it. Yes. But we have to live in its houses and 
ride on it. I started to say trains. I never have quit riding the train, although I'm on the plane all the time now when I go somewhere. Still, I like the train so much because you could see the country. Now you look down on an ocean of clouds. You're going from Dan to Beersheba all over the country. But uh, uh, we have to mix and mingle to a certain extent of necessity. We go to some of the schools and mix with some of the people. And uh, Paul said we're not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for then must you need to go out of the world. You have to rub elbows with them, and you ought to, if you can use it effectively to the glory of God. The old mystics back in the early days, you know, they thought they made themselves holier by hiding from everybody. They lived in caverns and holes, and it takes more than a hole to make you holier, you know. But they didn't know that, and they thought they'd be getting away from everybody. They weren't uh, mystics. They were mistakes, a lot of them, I think. And Jesus said in this 15th verse, take them through this world. That's what you pray for your children, what you have prayed for them. Lord, don't take them out. Take them through. And God can take them through if that's our prayer and their practice. Denying ungodliness and the lusts of this age. It may be refined. It may be religious. But righteousness has no fellowship with unrighteousness. Light, no communion with darkness. He that believeth, no part with an infidel. The temple of God, no agreement with idols. And then Christ has no concord, which is the Latinish form of the Greek word from which you get symphony. It's a musical word to start with. There's no symphony. There's no concord. There's no harmony between Christ and Belial or Christ and the devil or Christ and the world. Uh, Campbell Morgan said... The Christian life is lived in the midst of gigantic forces opposed to Christ and to God. This world set up with its pagan culture today is no friend of grace to help us on to God. You can't serve two masters, God and mammon, Christ and the world. I spoke to the Hollywood Christian group some years ago when I was out there, and uh, some of them are Christians, and um, I don't agree with them on that position Staying in there, uh, but uh, I, I believe that uh, it's a good thing to get out of. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't get uh, thrilled by Hollywood uh, interpreting the scripture very much. Uh, I believe that uh, there's some things we ought to part company with, definitely, if they're of this age. I remember meetings years ago in. Troy, Alabama, in the First Baptist Church, and a boy took a stand for the Lord that week. He was the president of the senior class in high school, and it was graduation time. And he really took a stand for the Lord. He didn't go to even to the junior-senior prom. He took a stand. And I came back next year to Florence, Alabama, for a meeting, and a lovely girl sang a beautiful solo and I found out that she was from Troy, and I asked her about this young fellow, and she said, yes, he's my boyfriend, and uh, he's preparing now for uh, further service. And uh, I said, that boy meant it. He took a stand and said goodbye to anything that uh, didn't harmonize with his view of walking the 
the Christian life. Uh, I, if, if this thing keeps on, you can be a Christian, be anything you want to be anyhow. I expect to meet a Christian pickpocket. <laughs> I ask him, how do you do it? And he says, well, when I pick one pocket, I put a gospel tract in the other pocket. <laughs> I can't see it. If you're with, in with God, you're out with the world, old Alexander McLaren said. The measure of our discord with the world is the measure of our accord with the Savior. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Jesus so much on one occasion, John 7, 7, his brothers in the flesh said to him, why don't you, why don't you go up to the capital and preach and get out of the backwoods and so on and so on. He said, well, uh, the world doesn't hate you because you belong to it. But me it hateth because I speak of it that its deeds are evil. Now, who does that make you think about in the Old Testament? Do you remember when Ahab and Jehoshaphat decided to go up against Ramoth Gideon? And they called in 400 preachers. That's a lot of preachers, prophets. And, uh, but, of course, you no trouble to get 400 preachers together if they can speak to two kings at one time. That's quite a chance for the clergy. And so here was the clergy. And every one of them said, go up and prosper. Well, Jehoshaphat was a very uncertain type of character, but he did have enough conscience about him to say, uh, isn't there an oddball in the crowd somewhere? Isn't there an extra fellow we can call on? This thing sounds too unanimous. Anytime 400 preachers are unanimous, something's bound to be wrong. <laughs> and so they called in old Micaiah. And he came in and first time in satire. He said, go on up. And then uh, Ahab, they said, no, now we want to, want the lowdown on this. And uh, when Micaiah had asked Ahab, if you don't have a, do you not have another preacher, an odd fellow? One more, he said, but I hate him because he doth not testify good concerning me, but only evil. Just about the same thing that our Lord referred to. If you go out and call things by their right name in this world, name things, a certain type of people are not going to like you. I hate him. That's the best recommendation my care ever had. It's a good one sometimes. And my Lord said, and this is the verse where the word world is five times, sets a record in one verse. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That's John fifteen eighteen, And verse 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's a lot of world in that verse. And uh, it deserves a good deal of attention, beloved. The world knows us not because it knew him not. First John 3, 1. Uh, I believe in separation of church and state, but I believe in separation of the Christian and the world. Jesus is in the world. He was not a recluse. He went to the weddings. He mixed with publicans and sinners out where crossed the crowded ways of men. You found him. He was uh, criticized by the Pharisees who were separated from sinners, but not from sin. He associated with people in the world, but never had fellowship with them. And that's why he tells us here in verse 14 and 16, 
so important that he says it twice, that you're not of the world. Now, when the boat's in the water, that's one thing. When the water's in the boat, that's something else. We're not to be conformed to the world, but transformed. Not just a non-conformist. I've known people in my time that they don't dance and they don't play cards and they don't drink and they don't do oh, oh so many things they don't do. And you feel like asking them, well, what do you do? What are you doing to the glory of God? And they, they find it a little difficult sometimes to give an account of themselves. I believe not in the, just the nonconformist, but the transformist who's been transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's your attitude. You know, one of the leading black leaders today, whatever you may think about him, otherwise, he's got a clever statement. I don't know whether it's his or not. It's your attitude and not your aptitude that determines your altitude. Well, that's well said. It's not how smart you are, but it's your attitude. That's a pretty good saying. We're not of the world. We're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, there's a lot of confusion. When I started out as a boy preaching, way back there in the teens of the century, uh, generally a sermon on worldliness, and we had them, and we ought to have them now. We had them then. But sometimes the preachers got stuck on about three or four sins, and that is all. And if you didn't do that, you were all right. But that's not the way the Bible says. Here's some more world from John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I like the way the living Bible puts this. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They are from this evil world itself, and this world is fading away, and these evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps on doing the will of God will remain forever. That's pretty well said, I think. Well, uh, Jesus said that when he comes back, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah and Lot. Well, how was it then? He didn't say they were gambling. He didn't say that they were immoral. He didn't mention any of those things. He said they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building, marrying and giving in marriage. Well, what's wrong with that? Nothing, unless it's all you do. And if it's all you do and God doesn't have a lookout and you're just as worldly as some young blade on the dance floor at two in the morning. And that's a hard truth to get across today. A man can be so wrapped up in business, that's his God. There's no place for the Lord. And he's a worldling. I know a man, for instance, who raises hogs. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, he's letting hogs keep him out of heaven. I would hate to be kept out of heaven by a hog. <laughs> and morally is all right, hard-working man, but no place for God, no place for the things of heaven. That's worldliness. He's taken up with the things of this age and the eating and the drinking and buying and selling. When he walks through woods, he doesn't see the glory of those temples out there. 
But how much lumber here and what will it bring on the market? He's of this age. Because that's the spirit of this age. Nothing but eating and drinking and buying and selling. We must eat, we must drink, we must buy, we must sell, certainly. But if that's all of it, you're a worldly. Campbell Morgan said the world hates Christian people if they see Christ in them. The measure in which this world agrees with us and says we are really a fine type Christian, we are so broad, is the measure in which we are unlike Jesus Christ. So said Campbell Morgan. Uh, Bill McDougall used to sing with Fuller's Old Fashioned Revival Hour Quartet. Bill came out of Hollywood and became a Christian before, all, before he started this, of course. And I said, tell me one time, Bill, what do you think about all this? Now, some of them are in, in both and everything. He said, if you're going to live for God, live for God. If you're going to live for the devil, live for the devil. But you can't go both directions at the same time. And that is well said. But we're getting to where we touch lightly today about all of that. I like to think of the dedication of Jim Elliot, who died, stabbed to death in South America by those... Uh, uh, poor souls that didn't know the Lord. When he was a young fellow, he, and he died a young fellow, he he kept a diary. And one uh, page of it had this on it. I went with a friend last night to look at television, and God convicted me by Psalm 119.37, Keep thou mine eyes from beholding vanity. Young man, not some old fellow, you know. If I'd start saying something like that, they'd say, well, he's had his day, you know. <laughs> but a young man, but a man with a conscience, and a man who saw not so much a line of demarcation, but two different attitudes entirely. Into the world, then, Jesus said finally, we're not to sit in judgment on the world. We're the more spiritual people. No, we're not to, we're not to be like that. Uh, the world needs a light. A dark place always needs a light. And uh, Jesus said, for their sakes I sanctify. I set myself apart. When you go into the operating room at the hospital, the doctor and the nurses have set themselves apart for you in that occasion. For your sake, the garments are spotless and the instruments are ready and clean. For your sake, because they're dealing with something dangerous. They're dealing with germs. And you and I are living in a world that's all broken out with every imaginable kind of iniquity and sin. And for God's sake and our sake and their sakes, we ought to sanctify ourselves with a true separation to the glory of God. Some time ago, a young man was so good at track, he was such a good runner, that the coach said, Boy, you've got it. He said, There's no telling what you'll come to if you keep this up and keep up your practice. But he said, If you shake this old world with that running, you're going to have to renounce it first. You can't go here and you can't do go there and keep all kinds of hours and everything else. It looks to me like that if athletes could deny themselves like they do for what they do, uh, I, I, I think about that. 
I was in a meeting in Texas, and Van Cliburn came to church, one of the half dozen top living pianists. And uh, I think he's a Christian. I talked with him. He autographed my Bible. I was just like a kid. I wanted him to autograph my Bible. So I've got his autograph. I looked at him, and I thought, well, who wouldn't like to play a piano like that, but who'd want to practice like that? Hour by hour by hour, and still he must do it. Because if you don't, your fingers are all thumbs in no time. And everybody knows I is not as good as he used to be. And if they can do that to win a corruptible crown, God have mercy on so many of our people today who do not study to show themselves approved unto God workmen that need not to be ashamed. We're God's athletes too. Paul used the figure quite freely. Uh, one of the girl ice skaters some time ago got up in the middle of the night in uh, ice like they'd been having it up there and went out and uh, practiced such an hour just to keep in trim. Now, whoever would think of that for any other cause in the wide world? God requires uh, that we pay a price in our devotion and... uh, if we take it too carelessly, why the performance is going to reveal it in due time. Not only do I bid farewell to the way of the world, I deny myself. I take up the cross. I follow him. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Uh, we use that a lot down uh, uh, our way. and it's a, It's a good little chorus. And you remember what Galatians 6.14 says, I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. In other words, we're, we're dead to each other. Am I speaking to somebody here this morning that's greatly tempted not to be dead to the world? Now, some of the church members are dead enough, but they're not dead to the right thing. Dead to the world. And the world's dead to me. There's been a, a death and a funeral there. And we don't have any harmony, no... Uh, symphony I heard of two girls that had been pretty worldly and they got saved they got an invitation to a dance and they said well we're not going but we ought to give them some kind of a Bible reason they didn't know too much about it yet but they'd read where this very verse occurs and they had learned that we have died to the world the world's died to us so they wrote back and said we're we're dead and can't come That's a good way to answer folks like that. Maybe they'll ask you a question. You get to tell them something. Ah. I can't make it. Oh, uh, young people, I have a great time with them. I have a better response today from young people than I've had in all my life. I know some of them are not living right, no, but there's some who want to, and some are living for Jesus today, and I think there's some wonderful young people. And uh, But when we have a get-together, they're always sure to come up with what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that and what's wrong with something. I said, now hold everything. You're asking how near the precipice can I walk without going over, and how much fun can I have as a whirling and still be a Christian? Why aren't you asking me how much like Jesus can I be and how little like the world? Instead of saying how much like the world can I be and still be a Christian, that doesn't make sense to start with. Except it die. 
I preached in 7th and James Baptist Church, Waco, Texas, some years ago, just across the street from Baylor University. And uh, on Wednesday night, BRH, Baylor Religious Hour, they called it, I went over there to speak, and they had students, and they had the church folks, and they had the great Baylor choir behind me. And I preached on this very thing. And uh, then we sang what we sang a lot in Southern Baptist churches, Way of the Cross Leads Home. I don't hear it much out of our part of the country a lot, but the first verse says, No other way but the way of the cross. And I told them that night, and I tell, tell them everywhere. We could get a, a unanimous vote on that, sure, sure. But I said, Read that last verse. Then I bid farewell to the way of the world, to walk in it nevermore. Uh-oh. If you want to throw a chill over the meeting, you get around to that last verse. I said, now here's what we're going to do. I had this choir behind me. I said, won't you all remain seated for that first verse? We'd all vote for that. We're in favor of that. No other way but the way of the crowd. Then we're going to stop and have a word of prayer. And then we're going to have the last verse. If you have told this world goodbye sometime in the past and still living that way, or if you will do it tonight, between now and time to start singing, you have right a right to stand and sing. You haven't got a bit of business singing it otherwise. Oh, the songs that we sing and more lies have been told behind hymn books and almost anything else that I can think of in this world. And the way we, uh, I, I, I lay men over the fact that, uh, uh, that we uh, don't realize sometimes what we're singing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. You know how it reads in the index? Take my life and let it be. Put it up on a shelf somewhere, Lord. Put it on cold storage. I said, now let's put up that no period after that. I said, that's just half a sentence. I said, let's sing, take my life and do something with it. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now I said, if you've told this old world goodbye, or you will, change your attitude, stand. Well, uh, usually we, people will, a lot of folks will be honest and not stand. And I say, I thank you for your honesty, at least. But... Two young fellows stood up there in the gallery, among others, and I didn't know them from Adam then, but one of them is pastor of Second Ponce de Leon Church in Atlanta, and the other is Euless, Texas, a great Baptist church out there, First Baptist. And they told me later, they said, you know, you embarrassed us. But we had to do something, and it was the beginning of some meaningful decisions in our lives. You've got to take a risk, and it's worth it, to get two of that kind up there, the Lord made of that kind, by making splendid and wonderful preachers. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm getting a lot of response today. Some dear friend here last night wrote me a precious note that I took in my room, and maybe here this morning. God's dealing with him. I think maybe he ought to be a preacher. And I preach a lot to preachers these days. Well, 
if we did it this morning, we're not, and imagine it's in the book even to begin with, but uh, you say, well, now, who do you think we are? Well, we're good dyed-in-the-wool stamped-on-the-cork Bible conference folks. Nothing wrong with us. But get the old definition back there, uh, eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, all the rest of it. How do you stack up with that? How clean can we come? Doesn't mean going around and just won't engage in anything that's wholesome and beautiful and lovely and all that. But I find a slipping going on today. And it's not because I'm 80. I find there are others that are not 80 that are awakening to the fact. I'm glad that uh, this preacher down here in the, the big church at uh, old Kennedy, any man that can wear a fancy robe and get up in a fancy church like that and preach on hell's got something. And he does, and all the other themes too that I've listened to him. So let's, it's not a matter of what, rejoicing what I don't do. If you like saying, well, what do you do in the name of the Lord? And if you'll get busy enough doing, you won't have much time for the not doing this and the not doing that won't even occur to you. So you've been called out of the world. You're in the world. You're not of the world. But you've been called out of the world to go right back into the world. And that's the only business you've got in this world. Go back into it to represent Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast oriented us thoroughly once for all time about this matter. And we argue more than we get down to business sometimes, Lord, and uh, judge ourselves that we be not judged. So speak to our hearts through what thy servant has endeavored to say. Maybe some person here this morning needed exactly this, even at a Bible conference, a moody Bible conference. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Vance Havner. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers. 